This Advent at Kenilworth Union, Katie and I want to preach this sermon series called In the Meantime, and we're going to be using the common lectionary passages. For instance, for the first Sunday of Advent, the lectionary suggests a passage from Matthew 24. When Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world. Jesus said, you will hear wars and rumors of wars. Nation shall rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not the angels in heaven, not even myself, only the Father knows. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days of Noah before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding flour together, one will be taken and one left. Keep Awake, therefore, for you do not know when your Lord is coming back to you. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when no one expects. Thanks be to God for God's word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. People are endlessly fascinated by stories and speculation about the end of the world. This is true both inside the church and outside of it, and I guess this isn't so surprising because it will be uh, an event of some significance for all of us. And so around the world, in every culture, apocalyptic literature is robust and extensive. These stories about the end of the world. Apocalypse, by the way, is a Greek word which means revelation or unveiling or disclosure. Apocalypse or revelation is the name of our last book of the Bible. And so the adjective apocalyptic has become known to refer to anything that is about the end of the world. So, what's the greatest book or movie about the end of the world? World War Z, I Am Legend, The Road, Children of Men, The Stand, The Handmaid's Tale, A Quiet Place, Greenland, 2012, Armageddon. According to one website, the greatest apocalyptic movie ever is Mad Max Fury Road. Personally, I'm part, partial to Don't Look Up. My preacher friend Scott jokes about wandering into a bookstore recently and seeing a sign which reads, Books about the apocalypse are now moved to current events. <laughs> you see his point, right? It all seems to be happening right now. A pandemic has turned into a triple-demic. In the last two weeks in the United States, there have been three multiple homicides. Blue Americans hate red Americans and vice versa. The Kremlin is misled by a miscreant 
who is at once both malevolent and incompetent. He is all four horsemen of the apocalypse rolled into one. Death, famine, war, and conquest. All of this is current events. It's happening right now, and it's all a little ominous. But you know where all those books and movies got their grim scenarios, don't you? They got them from Jesus. One day near the end of his ministry, Jesus' disciples ask him to tell them about the end of the world. And Jesus says, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes and famine. But then he gets to his main point. He says, but about this day or hour, no one knows. Not the angels in heaven, not even myself, only the Father knows. And it will be like in the days of Noah, when people are going about their ordinary business, eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, when suddenly some raindrops sprinkle the earth, and it doesn't stop raining for 40 days and 40 nights. Therefore, says Jesus... Stay awake and be ready because you don't know when your Lord is coming. You don't know when the end of the world will happen. The end of your puny little life or the end of the cosmic order itself. So this is the passage the common lectionary wants us to think about on the first Sunday of Advent every year. Now you see why I frequently abandon the common lectionary to choose my own passages because there's a lot of weird and scary stuff in there. But you see why the common lectionary wants us to think about those apocalyptic words of Jesus on the first Sunday of Advent every year. Advent, of course, is a Latin word which means to come or to arrive, and the lectionary wants us to remember that Jesus is the one who came and who is coming again. He came once long ago to Bethlehem in that feeding trough, and he's coming back on clouds of glory at the end of the world like a thief in the night. And so Christians, we we live in the meantime. Christians live between... The thing is, it's been 2,000 years and nothing's happened. As year succeeds to year and century to century and millennium to millennium, Jesus' second coming seems unlikelier and unlikelier. And so this morning I want to think with the mind of the Christian skeptic who treats her Bible seriously but not literally. Because these apocalyptic words of Jesus have given rise to all these empty, futile speculations about the Antichrist and 666 And the rapture, which, by the way, is a word that never appears in Scripture. Barbara Brown Taylor notices all these bumper stickers that read, if the rapture happens, this car will be driverless. But then she notices other bumper stickers which read, if the rapture happens, can I have your car? (laughs) It's all a big joke to some people. And maybe it ought to be. And so let me skip all the futile speculation and cut to the chase and reduce Jesus' wise words to their distilled essence. Keep awake because you don't know when the Lord's coming back. Literally or figuratively, you don't know the end of the world, the end of your own personal world or the end of the cosmic structure itself. The earth is very old, but it is not infinite. This will all come to an end. 
One wise raconteur asks, how many people in your life have you already had your last conversation with? Yes? How many people in your life have you already had your last conversation with? Therefore, don't put it off. Do it now. Become now what God meant for you to be. Because life is too short for you to indulge your trivial in trivial grudges. Life is too short for you to luxuriate in your ridiculous animosities. Life is too short for you to swagger in your fraudulent superiority. Life is too short for you to ignore the lonely or to scorn the different. So cultivate your best self now. Magnify and multiply and sharpen your virtues now because you never know when the end is coming. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. On our recent Alabama privilege, we visited the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama, which was founded by Brian Stevenson, who wrote Just Mercy. And the Legacy Museum in Montgomery wants to teach contemporary people like you and me what it was like to be white or black in Birmingham or Montgomery in the 1960s. And the Legacy Museum has all these photographs and video clips of these beautiful, handsome, smiling, runway-ready, white teenagers in bobby socks and letter jackets. They look like your children and mine. They look like their fraternity brothers or sorority sisters luxuriating in their youthful, privileged camaraderie. Two, four, six, eight, they chant. Two, four, six, eight. We don't want to integrate like it was a fight song or a cheerleader routine. That's the chant, of course, they hurled at Ruby Bridges when she integrated that elementary school in New Orleans in 1960. Two, four, six, eight. We don't want to integrate. And that moment is frozen in time. That's how they will be remembered. Some of them are still alive today. They're in their 80s today. They look like your new Trier son or your Northwestern daughter. They look like our children. They are well-dressed, well-coiffed, well-raised, nice and polite, and they went to church every single Sunday of the year. And this is how they will be remembered. That's a moment that's frozen in time. It's never too soon to do the right thing. Get on the right side of history. Pam Burrell attended Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington in 1970. She was the only African-American woman to enter the university that year. She never really found a home on campus. When she arrived on campus, she discovered that her dorm room had been considered so that she and her roommate wouldn't have to share a bedroom. And when she asked the university why they'd built the room that way, they said, we thought you'd be more comfortable that way. So she never really found her home on campus, but as a sophomore, she volunteered with 11 other students in a program that visited the Washington State Penitentiary Maximum Security every single week. So Pam went there every single week for two years. 
And so one time when it was time to go to the prison, Pam went to the gathering place and found out she was the only one to show up that evening. Turns out that the smash group, the Ohio Players, is giving a concert at Whitman College that evening, and all the other volunteers have decided to go to the concert. And so Pam gets in the white prison van and drives to the prison by herself. And when she gets there, the inmates ask her why she's the only one. And she tells them it's because the Ohio players are playing on campus tonight. And the inmates poke gentle fun at her. They say, well, what's the matter? Don't you like the Ohio players? And she says, they're my favorite group. And the inmates say, well, what are you doing here? And Pam says, because I love you guys. And I want to do everything I can to help you thrive. And the room goes completely still. No one makes a sound. Until one guy starts crying, and he finally says, no one's ever told me before that they loved me or cared anything about me. And then one by one, the other guys start crying, including the prison guard who's supposed to be watching over them. Later, Pam will say, I don't know if that program did those guys any good, but it sure helped me. So what will he find you doing when he comes again like a thief in the night on clouds of glory at the end of time? Literally or figuratively, you don't know when that's going to happen. Your personal life or the cosmic order itself. This world is old, but it's not infinite. What will he find you doing when he comes back? And so Christmas, Christians live between the two Advents. We live in the meantime between the two Advents. In the meantime, mean as in the middle and sometimes mean as in cruel and unkind. In the meantime. And so theologians are fond of talking about the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. And what they mean by that is to say that Jesus has already come, but not yet returned. The earth is already saved, but not yet whole. Satan is already crippled, but not yet defeated. God's plan has already been enacted, but not yet fulfilled. The slant of history is already towards the light, but the full light has not yet come. It's 38 to 23. You are leading 38 to 23 when you intercept the Buckeye quarterback. But there are still four minutes and 19 seconds left in the game. You are on the brink of victory, but the game is not over. You are already on the brink of victory, but the game is not yet over. Therefore, Stay awake and keep watch. All praise and honor be to Jesus, the regent who came once and will come again. And when he comes again, my prayer will be that he find you visiting the prisoner, loving the unlovable, and welcoming the stranger. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.